program on Friday that the rules have changed. Possibly recommended, but they won't have to Good afternoon, everyone. Just to give you a quick, quick update on the room policy now. So it has evolved, it has changed a little, little bit. Um, so yes, masks are still recommended, but you are not obliged to wear it anymore in this room. So it's up to you, you can wear it or not. We will provide you with a mask if you would like one. Thank you. That's the only update? That's the state of the world? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, as uh, you know, my passion, of course, is, is chemistry, which I think is a central science. As I often say, it's the uh, thread that ties all the other sciences together. Because by definition, Chemistry is the study of matter and the changes that matter undergoes. What's matter? Anything that uh, has mass and occupies space. So everything in the world somehow hinges on, on chemistry because everything is a question of matter, right? And matter matters. And uh, that's what we deal with. And uh, when you have a feel for molecules, you have a pretty good feel for what can and cannot happen. So what I would like to do with you here today is go through a day and we'll see all of the decisions that we made based on science and most specifically on chemistry. Because we make decisions all the time. Numerous times during the day, we come to the proverbial fork in, in the road, right? Where we have to make decisions. And those decisions very often are based upon chemicals. Uh, whether it is nutrition, whether it's medications that we take, whether you know, it's, it's uh, <coughs> differences in organic food versus conventional food, all of these really are chemical decisions. And it's, to me, it's really disturbing that there's so many people who are scared of chemistry. And uh, you know, the, it is not, uh, it is not uh, infrequent that I will give a, a public talk somewhere, and then someone will come up to me after and tell me with some sort of, of uh, ridiculous pride that they failed chemistry in high school, <laughs> as if I'm supposed to appreciate that. Now, I, I know where it comes from. It normally comes from, it, it, it's sort of a backhanded compliment saying that, you know, if they had heard such interesting things then, they probably wouldn't have uh, failed. But no one should express it as, as, as a question of, of pride that, you know, they fail chemistry. But I understand, you know, that a lot of people are, are concerned, they have difficulty with it, because this is the kind of book that is out there in, in the bookstores. We're constantly warned about the dangers of, of chemicals and dangerous ingredients everywhere, and how our bodies now are basically a depository for toxic uh, substances, and people want chemicals just locked away. It's uh, really quite amusing. 
that you can have a high school student organize a petition asking people to sign this petition to ban dihydrogen monoxide because of all of the awful things that it does. And people will sign this, not realizing, of course, that dihydrogen monoxide is just a chemical term for water. So it is, you know, uh, I don't even like to say amusing. It's, it's actually scary that, that people will do that. I mean, chemicals are not to be feared. They're not to be worshipped. They are to be understood. So let's see why it is so important to understand them. Let's go through a day. The sun rises. And you just look at that, and what you're looking at is, is a fascinating chemical reaction. What are you looking at when you look at the light and the heat that comes from the sun? You're looking at fusion. You're looking at hydrogen atoms fusing into helium. That's what is happening in the sun. It's a constant nuclear fusion experiment. And eventually, uh, of course, the raw materials will run out. But don't worry, it's not going to be in your lifetime. But what we're looking at, when we just look up at that sun, is a basic chemical reaction. So you uh, wake up, you slowly open your eyes, and you look out through your acrylic curtains. Much more uh, easy to take care of than the you know, old-fashioned cotton or linen. Uh, very easy to wash. It hangs nicely. So you open your eyes and you look down over your polyester bed covers. And again, they are pretty well stain-free. Easy to wash, easy to dry. You don't have to iron them. And then you put your feet down on your nylon carpeting, which will last a lot longer than all the old-fashioned cotton and wool carpets and are much easier to take care of. You can even make them stain resistant by spraying them with uh, silicone. But then, of course, there are questions about that as well. Uh, what about inhaling that stuff or you know is there any chance that it's going to be harmful in in the long run anyway so you've you run over your nylon carpeting you get into the bathroom and you plunk yourself down in the bathtub and there's all kinds of of uh, stuff that you can experience there in terms of chemistry of course you wash yourself with soap one of the oldest of all chemical discoveries. It goes back thousands of years. Uh, our ancestors learned to mix the ashes from uh, a wood fire with fat. That's how you make soap. In fact, that's how we still make it today. But when you let the water out of your bathtub, finally, you'll be left with the bathtub ring. Well, what is that all about? That's a consequence of having minerals in the water, which we have magnesium and, and calcium. And these react with soap. And when the magnesium and calcium react with soap, you get an insoluble precipitate. That's what you see as the bathtub ring. And the question comes, what do you do about this? Well, somehow you have to solubilize it. Well, there's several ways to do that. 
A simple one would be lemon juice. Citric acid complexes those minerals and makes them soluble, but you don't want to be washing your bathtub with, uh, with lemon juice. When you have good commercial products available, like CLR, which is phosphoric acid, and it will immediately solubilize the bathtub ring. Now, you don't get the bathtub ring everywhere because, of course, it depends on the concentration of the minerals in the water. And if you go to Vancouver, for example, you don't have to worry about bathtub ring. They have very soft water there, which means that there's a very low concentration of minerals in it. So there's nothing there to react with the, with the soap. This is also the reason why in Vancouver you can easily wash your hair with soap, because you don't have to worry about any scum formation. The reason that we use shampoos here is because shampoos are made of detergents. And the difference between a detergent and a soap is that the detergent does not react with minerals in the water. But if you don't like a bath, you may want to take a shower. But that can be a frightening experience <laughs> if you look at some of the scientific literature out there that will tell you that there are hundreds of chemicals that are released from the shower curtain. And all of a sudden, of course, you get the feeling that that curtain is ready to do you in. Well, indeed, the headline is correct. There are hundreds of chemicals that will be released into the air from a shower curtain. <clears throat> a result of the manufacturing process, those shower curtains are usually made of polyvinyl chloride or PVC, and there are many chemicals that are used in, in uh, making, making that. Uh, but here's the important point, and this is something that, that we have to constantly be aware of, that the presence of a chemical is not the same as the presence of risk. The presence of a chemical these days really is a function of our ability to detect substances in ridiculously small amounts. We can now detect substances concentration of parts per trillion. Know what that is? Imagine that you have an Olympic-sized swimming pool. That's a pretty big swimming pool, right? It's a 50-meter uh, long pool. You put one drop of water into that Olympic-sized swimming pool. That's one part per trillion. That can be detected. If you don't like that analogy, give you another one. The width of a credit card relative to the distance between the Earth and the Moon, one part per trillion. We can find that. So at this point, if we look hard enough with the instrumentation that we have, everything is contaminated by everything else. So just because we find something doesn't mean that it's doing harm. That takes a much deeper dive. All right, so anyway, you've taken your bath, taken your shower. Uh, the next thing is you've got to relieve yourself on the toilet. This is the toilet of the future. It is so-called smart toilet because it will tell you 
whether or not you have excess sugar in your urine, that is, are you potentially diabetic? It will tell you if there's any bit of, of blood in your feces, something that you have to be aware of. It will tell you if you're eating enough fiber. <clears throat> it will tell you whether or not you are deficient in any vitamins. Plus a whole bunch of other things, white blood cell count in, in the urine, which can be a reflection of, uh, of infection. This is not science fiction. This is real. This exists. I mean, right now, <clears throat> you can buy it, but it's not cheap enough to you know, put it into every house, but it will be. The same way as, you know, when, when cell phones first came out, they were a novelty, not everyone had one. Now everyone, of course, does. And within a relatively short time, that's the toilet that you will be sitting on. So once you get up from the, the toilet, uh, all kinds of other stuff that you do in the bathroom, and uh, whether you're using an aftershave or, or shaving cream, you, of course, are using chemicals. Chemical is not a dirty word. It is just a description of all of the things that make up matter. Why do we need shaving cream? In order to make your skin soft so that the razor glides over it easily, so that it doesn't tear your face apart. It is not absolutely essential, of course. I mean, you know, we have lived with, before shaving cream but it makes things a lot easier. When you open your mouth to brush your teeth, you see some more chemistry there. Uh, I mean, of course, there's the amalgam, which is the filling material that, that we used to use. Now we're getting away from it uh, because there are better materials available. Today, we have the white fillings, uh, which can last a long time. It used to be that dentists would shy away from using the novel synthetic fillings because we had a history of amalgam working very well. In the amalgam and mercury amalgam in, in your teeth can last 30, 40 years. But today, the modern synthetic materials can rival it. And uh, they don't have the potential toxicity of the mercury. Now that, that toxicity has been overplayed because uh, the amount of mercury that leaches out of those fillings is an infinitesimal amount, as is obvious, right? I mean, if that filling lasts 40 years, how much mercury can you lose? You know, if you would lose the mercury from it, the filling would fall apart. Obviously that doesn't, doesn't happen. But nevertheless, uh, if possible, it's better not to have exposure to mercury, so the modern synthetics uh, are playing a, a bigger role. Of course, nothing can really take the place of gold, because gold is totally inert. It doesn't react with anything. But it's not aesthetically pleasing to have it in your mouth, certainly not on the front teeth, right? Unless you're Russian, they, they seem to like that. Uh, but these days, I mean, dentistry has, has progressed amazingly thanks to advances in chemistry. 
one of the biggest breakthroughs has been the dental implant. I mean, this is just wonderful technology where they can actually implant what, what amounts to a screw into, into the jawbone into which you can screw in the implant and essentially you have a new tooth. It's synthetic, but uh, it works extremely well. Uh, it is not a cheap process, of course, but uh, the results are absolutely amazing. And it's all made possible by the fact that, that we can formulate the implant itself out of titanium, which is totally unreactive with uh, body tissues. And then with uh, synthetic polymers, you can make the tooth look exactly like a real tooth. And you cannot tell by looking at someone whether or not they have an implant. And again, it is made possible by chemistry, by having the right metal, having the right uh, uh, plastics. Now, when you brush your teeth, of course, you're also going to make choices. Do you want fluoride in your toothpaste or not? Or do you want just the so-called natural toothpaste? Uh, this, that's a word, of course, that bothers me, uh, especially in context of toothpaste. I mean, you, you don't see toothpaste growing on trees. You don't see little toothpaste running around waiting to be caught. So how, how is a toothpaste natural? Natural is a marketing gimmick. That's all it is. Because the truth is that everything in the world can be labeled as natural. Everything comes from nature. I mean, where does a car come from, right? The metal in the car comes from nature. The plastics in the car come from petroleum, which comes from nature. So everything can be labeled natural. This is just a, a, a marketing uh, gimmick. And the fact that they advertise no fluoride, well, fluoride has been shown to reduce the incidence of cavities. There's no question. It gets incorporated into the enamel and it reduces the chance that that enamel will decay. Yes, they, the anti-fluoride people will tell you that, that why would you want a rat poison in your mouth, right? Yes, fluoride can be a rat poison, but not in the concentrations that is used in toothpaste. In toothpaste, so, 0.7 parts per million, something like that. I mean, it's a very small amount that's present in the in toothpaste. When you're using sodium fluoride as a wrath poison, you're using a massive amount of that material. This is not comparable to what is present in toothpaste. So once you brush your teeth, uh, you may want to put in your contact lens which is made of a special type of acrylic. And again, amazing that it can be formulated in such a way that it has exactly the right curvature that you need, which otherwise glasses would provide. And obviously it has to be made of material that doesn't react with the eye, which it is made of that kind of a material. And again, you know, these are the kind of things that we don't even question. You just get used to it so, so readily, you know, and we just don't question the miracles of modern life. You know, we're, we're all running around with the smartphones, which think about that. What do you have in your pocket there? 
What you have in your pocket there is a miracle. You have a contraption that can answer any question that you have. Within a second, you can get a million references to any kind of, of, of question. It will immediately tell you the score of every game anywhere in the world. It will tell you the, the, the news uh, instantly. <laughs> you could even talk on it, like the phone, <laughs> right? What you have in your pocket is a computer that is more formidable than the one that was used to put a man on the moon. I mean, it's absolutely amazing what that little gimmick can do. It can also annoy you when it drinks, when, you know, when you're talking to an audience. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's just something that we don't even give a thought to. You know, we've just become so used to it, you know. You, you become used to using ways for driving. Whoever looks at a map anymore, right? And of course, that has had good consequences because uh, fighting when you're driving with your companion who's supposed to be interpreting the map, uh, that is gone thanks to ways, right? All right, so we've done all that in the bathroom. Time to get dressed. Now, of course, our fabrics today are so diverse. You can choose to wear nylon. <clears throat> you can choose to wear polyester. You can choose to wear wool. You can choose to wear cotton. All of these choices basically are chemical choices because these are different in terms of their molecular makeup and different in terms of their function. Even the underwear that you put on, you make choices. If you're a man, you have to make a decision. Are you going to wear boxer shorts or jockeys? And you may think that that's not an important decision. Well, it turns out that it can be. Because it turns out that the scrotal temperature is one of the determinants of fertility. Indeed, this is why the human male has evolved in such a way that the organs are external so that their temperature can be maintained. <clears throat> and there's a difference between wearing boxer shorts and wearing jockeys because that will determine the temperature. Uh, jockeys will warm up the area and that will reduce the uh, function, uh, the viability of, of sperm. Now, it's interesting that that has even made it into TV programs. You may remember that episode on Seinfeld when Kramer is worried that he will not have any progeny. And uh, he uh, tries boxer shorts, and then he's not happy with that, and he does the ultimate, wears nothing at all, which of course frightens Jerry and uh, Elaine. You can have special underwear today that will keep you warm and yet breathe, that is, allows moisture to pass through, which can be very important depending on the climate in which you are going to be.
And uh, there are all kinds of different uh, uh, fabrics today which have different functions. When you put on your shoes, take a look at a cross section of this particular shoe, how much science is involved in here. You have the basic scaffolding here, which is made of plastic called Bakelite. You have this, which is made of polyurethane. Of course, you don't see that because most of you don't cut shoes in half. And the uppers, they can be made of leather or they can be made of, of, of plastic. I mean, there are all kinds of ways to make shoes. And depending on, on just what function you want, you make a choice. If you're going to be a marathon runner, you want the proper shoes, especially if you're going to be a competitive marathon runner. Because slight differences in the shoe can translate to a significant difference over 26 miles. Today, uh, Nike uh, makes the most impressive marathon shoe. This is it. It's not cheap, $330 for a pair. Uh, but it will give you a bit of extra bounce, which, you know, over 26 miles translates to cutting down time. People, marathon runners, will tell you that they can shave off minutes which of course is that's a big deal in marathon running, just by having the right shoe. All right, so you've put on your underwear, you put on your shoe, uh, ready to get dressed, all kinds of possibilities, uh, fabrics of all kinds, many of them today are, are synthetic fibers, but that also introduces a question of concern. You've probably seen this because recently there have been all kinds of articles about the safety of the clothing that we wear. You know, one of the interesting sort of features of, of uh, modern life is that we now have the chance of worrying about things that we never would have considered before because no one before had the ability to analyze down to the parts per million of substances that may be present in our, our clothing. So the question just never came up. Well, today we can do those kind of, of measurements. And you may have seen just a couple of weeks ago on Marketplace, CBC's really excellent show, where they um, looked at a lot of clothes, uh, a lot of other items, uh, children's jewelry, etc., bought in most of the dollar store, and uh, found the presence of, of phthalates and perfluorinated compounds, all of which have some potential toxicity in some dose. Now, in the dose that they find, uh, I don't think that there's an issue. However, you also have to consider that we are exposed to small amounts of potentially toxic substances all over the place. And while what is maybe present in your you know, T-shirt may not be of consequence, but then you have other things that, you know, that, that are present in the food, that are present in the water, that are present in your shampoo, all of which are there in trivial amounts, but overall exposure may not be so trivial. But it's virtually impossible to determine that because you just cannot do the kind of scientific studies that would give you that, that answer. 
You cannot do a study to determine whether or not wearing cotton clothing uh, is superior to wearing clothing that has polyester fibers in it. Can't do this experiment. What you'd have to do is to organize a long-term trial, and it would have to be decades, because nobody thinks that you're going to be dropped dead if you put on a polyester shirt tomorrow, right? Question is, does it have any effect on longevity? So, you'd have to have two groups of people, one who wore only cotton clothes, and the other one who wore synthetic fibers. You'd have to follow them for 40, 50 years to see if there's any difference. And you'd have to control for everything else. They would have to have the same food, the same water, the same levels of activity. It's an impossible quest. So all we can do on those kind of things is make what we hope are educated guesses about when it is, it is judicious to worry about toxicity and when it is not. All right, so you've gotten dressed. By this time, you know, you practically have a headache worrying about everything that there is, is out there. And now you can start worrying about what you're going to eat. What are you going to put on your toast? Is it going to be butter or margarine? And if it is margarine, which kind of margarine? The one that has zero trans fats in it. Does it make a difference? Then you're going to drink something for breakfast. So coffee, of course, is the user of choice. But here, too, you have to make a decision. Is it going to be espresso or filtered coffee or Turkish coffee? All of these have significantly different chemical profiles. Are you going to have decaf? And if you have decaf, are you going to worry about how it was decaffeinated? What was the solvent used to remove the caffeine? Is there any remnant of that solvent in the final coffee? I mean, all of these things can make you crazy when you know, you know what to think about. Very often, ignorance is bliss. You know, if you don't know, for example, that methylene chloride is a dry cleaning solvent and it's the same solvent that is used to remove the caffeine from your decaf, if you don't know that, then you never have any issue worrying about it. Now that you know that, now you start worrying. But I can tell you to stop worrying because the amount of residue is insignificant. Uh, yes, it is the same solvent that's used in the dry cleaning industry, but it evaporates very easily. So there's none of it left in the final coffee. Then you have to decide if you're going to drink your coffee black or sweetened. And if sweetened, are you going to use an artificial sweetener or are you going to use sugar? And if you decide an artificial sweetener, what is it going to be? Aspartame, sucralose, asulfame, potassium, saccharin. Each of these has different chemical profiles. And you look through the literature, you you'll find that each one of these has been villainized by someone. And um, of course, the fact is that that we are learning more and more about all of these chemicals that we put into our body. We know that sugar is uh, something that we have to be careful with. Why? Because it is not an essential nutrient. We don't need sugar in, in our life. It is something that we describe as having empty calories, although in a sense that's a misnomer. 
because a calorie cannot be full or empty. Calorie is not a thing. It's uh, calories a unit of measure, but that's, it's a common way of, of you know describing that that we don't really need it. It doesn't add any nutrients to uh, to our system. Uh, and as far as the artificial sweeteners go, well, uh, when these were first approved, uh, of course toxicity tests were done. What do you do? You take rats or mice and start giving them increasing amounts of, uh, of the sweetener that you're testing to see if anything happens. And then you make a decision based on how much it took to make them sick and the amount that we're exposed to and you know, make a decision on what is the daily amount that you can safely take. That's how these things were approved. But when the, these were approved, no one ever thought to look to see what effect they might have on your microbiome. That is on the bacteria that naturally inhabit our gut. And there are a lot of bacteria that inhabit our gut. We have uh, roughly 39 trillion bacterial cells in our body compared with 30 trillion human cells. You are more bacteria than human, right? Well, those bacteria are not just innocent bystanders in our gut. They actually perform a variety of functions. They break down our food. Uh, they will determine how well the nutrients are absorbed from our digestive tract. They have important functions. They are a part of our immune system. So if you start fiddling around with the bacteria, you can have an effect on health. And we now know that some of these artificial sweeteners can lead to an alteration of the ratio of the different kinds of bacteria in our gut. Whether or not that has any long-term consequences, at this point we cannot say. But when these sweeteners were approved, of course, no one would have thought of testing about the effect that they can have on gut bacteria. So as time goes on, we learn more and more, and there are more and more decisions to make. So you've had your coffee, now you've got to decide, do you need a vitamin supplement? You do not. Unless you have been diagnosed with some sort of deficiency, which has to be done by proper blood, blood testing. In North America, it is extremely unlikely that you need a dietary supplement. Our diet here is varied, even though you may think you don't have a very good diet, you would have to have a really awful diet to be deficient in some sort of vitamin or some sort of, of, of mineral. So the emphasis really should be on having a balanced diet, not on trying to take a vitamin supplement sort of as nutritional insurance to fill in the blanks in your you know, nutritional uh, profile. But the advertising here is very, very uh, strong. And of course, it convinces people that, that you need to take these supplements. It's a huge industry. It's a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar industry. The one that um, 
perhaps is worth taking here in our climate because of the long winter is vitamin D and uh, there's no risk with that. I mean, you can safely take a thousand to two thousand units of vitamin D. As far as the daily multivitamin, I mean, there's no risk in taking it, but there's no study demonstrating that uh, it is beneficial. And what is also interesting is that when you do surveys, it is the people who don't need vitamin supplements who, <laughs> who take it mostly. It's not the poor people, you know, who have a, an in, uh, a diet that is, is um, not, uh, not appropriate, you know, for good health. It's not them who are taking it. It's, uh, it's the middle class and upper class people who are spending their money on these supplements. Okay, well, what, all, what are you going to eat with your toast that has been buttered or margarinized with your coffee that is either decaf or caffeinated and, and Swiss made or, or espresso or whatever, you made all these decisions. What about the cereal that you're going to, uh, to choose? Well, one way to know which one you should choose, of course, is by looking at the nutrient labels. And um, there are some things here that, that you know, are interesting. I mean, the calorie content, of course, but you also always have to, to look at um, to what amount those calories refer. Because very often they will tell you it's per serving, but the serving size that they talk about is much less than what people would normally eat. You know? uh, in Europe, it's uh, somewhat better because they will always standardize it to 100 grams of the food so that you can compare one to, to the other. Anyway, 110 calories is relatively uh, low, but really what you want to look at most is the sugar content. Uh, because you don't need that. You don't need the, the sugar. And um, if you consider that uh, you really shouldn't have more than, than 30 to 35 grams of added sugar a day, you see that this one is quite low. This is Cheerios, which is one of the better cereals out there. But really, the, the determining feature of these uh, cereals, there's two things, the sugar content and the fiber content. And you want less sugar and you want, uh, of course, more, uh, more fiber. Uh, of course, you also can take a look at the additives, although without really sufficient background in science, you really don't know what to make of that. Um, I mean, I suspect most of you would not know that BHD stands for butyl hydroxytoluene and that it's a preservative. Well, it's also curious to me that, that you know, people look on preservatives as uh, uh, some sort of toxin because there are many foods that now advertise no preservatives added, no chemicals added, etc. I don't know why preservatives have uh, gotten this negative image, which is really quite ridiculous. I mean, the reason preservatives are put in there is to increase the safety of that food. You don't want molds. You don't want fungi in your food. You don't want bacteria in your food. That's why preservatives are in there. No manufacturer has ever said to themselves, gee, you know, I don't think we're spending enough money producing our product. 
I think we should put in some useless, expensive preservative in there just to scare the public, right? No one thinks like that. I mean, everything that is in there is in there because it somehow increases the market potential of that, uh, that product. But if you don't like prepared cereals like that, you can, of course, always cook up your own. You can cook up your oatmeal. And then you'll get plenty of fiber. And of course, you can also choose not to put any sugar in it. So you can make those kind of decisions. And then what are you going to dress it up with? Because you got to put something in there to make it palatable. And you should. What you should put in there are berries, because we have a lot of information about this. Uh, the color of these different berries, obviously, is due to different chemicals, but they all fall into one general category known as polyphenols, which in turn are part of a big group of compounds called antioxidants. And you've all heard about antioxidants, and we've talked about this extensively in, in the past. And they are generally good things. Why? Because we, of course, can't live without oxygen. We have to inhale oxygen. It's required by every cell. Uh, it is required for all the metabolic reactions that take place in the cell. It's required for the cell to produce energy, and we obviously we can't live without oxygen. However, when the cells use oxygen, they also produce sort of friendly fire, which are these free radicals, a byproduct of respiration. And those free radicals are highly reactive and they can interact with proteins and DNA and cause changes that are undesirable. But antioxidants can mop up those free radicals. So the antioxidants in these berries are indeed very beneficial. So I think cooking up your oatmeal and putting a good chunk of uh, berries in there is a very good breakfast to have. All right, now after breakfast, you're going to read your morning newspaper, although you won't be reading it for long because uh, newspapers are going to disappear. At least the paper copies well. Uh, of course, a lot of chemistry in producing the paper, uh, all the way from the pulp that comes from trees to the numerous kinds of additives that are, are, are used. But um, we won't be reading the paper for long because it will all be online. That's where we'll be getting the news. And I can tell you that, that as far as our students go, because you know, I deal with the 18 to 21 year olds, they'll never pick up a newspaper. They've all grown up reading everything on their phone or on their laptop. And that's why, you know, circulation is going way down. And the fact is that once you get used to it, not only is it as convenient to read it online, it's even better because you can click to all the backup stories. You can look at all the references you know, that, uh, that they provide. And this is, this is the way that it is going to be. So no, there's no question about that. Uh, you can't really make money with newspapers uh, anymore. And indeed, that's 
That's why you will see so often these idiotic ads in the Gazette of you know all of the miracle supplements, etc. Because they they just have to to run every ad that you know, that they can get because they're really scrounging for pennies. All right. So whether you've read the newspaper by paper or online, you're ready to go out and you walk out over your polypropylene indoor outdoor carpeting which uh, protects uh, whatever is underneath it. It is easy to clean. You can actually shovel snow off of it. And uh, it's just very, very convenient. And it's remarkable that we can make fabrics that can stand up to the summer heat, to the winter cold without breaking down. So you walk out and take out your garbage in the polyethylene bags. You don't think about this much, but just think what it would be like if we didn't have those garbage bags and you had to deal with all of the garbage that we, we produce. Now, it turns out, of course, that there is an issue here too because of the plastic that is used, but everything has to be weighed on a risk-benefit um, ratio. And you may wonder, you know, what happens to that, that garbage? Well, a lot of it ends up in a landfill, which is not nearly as bad as it is made out to be. Because when something is a landfill, if it's a properly constructed landfill, it stays in there. What you worry about are things that get out into the environment and that can come back and haunt us. If you can bury things somewhere and you can be assured that it stays there, that's not a big concern. And today, landfills can be constructed in, in um, a very, very efficient way. And uh, one thing that we have in Canada, of course, is a lot of space. There's no shortage of, of uh, land where we can build a landfill. Obviously, it is still better not to have to do that. That is to, to reduce the amount of garbage that we uh, generate. And one way to do that, of course, is by recycling. But people don't. I mean, it's just awful that things like bottles, the water bottles and the soda bottles get discarded because these are all recyclable. We've talked about this before. I mean, there are many, many different kinds of plastics, not all of which are, are recyclable. I mean, technically, they they cannot be recycled, but it doesn't always pay. For example, styrofoam, the foam containers. It usually doesn't pay to have that recycled because it's cheaper to produce that from raw materials, at least for now. Because the transportation of styrofoam to wherever it can be recycled generally isn't worth it. Because you have to take into account, of course, that you're running the trucks to, to do that. And because those foam containers are mostly air, you can't put too many of them in a truck. So it, it doesn't pay to transport those. Other things it does. So it's put in the recycling bin. Because these polyester bottles, are the most easily recyclable plastics out there. And you can recycle them into all kinds of things. 
For example, this plastic bench, plastic lumber, is made from old bottles. You can have clothing made from old bottles. But we really do have to think a lot about garbage. We produce an unbelievable amount of garbage. And um, when you just think of you know, what has to be dealt with, I mean, just look at all of this stuff that we, we throw out. Uh, there's uh, overpackaging that we really have to do something about. Packaging, of course, is important. I mean, if we didn't have proper packaging, you wouldn't have your blueberries in the middle of winter. Uh, but um, there is certainly a lot of overpackaging. And uh, some of this packaging is, is very frustrating, right? It's difficult to, to open. I'm sure many of have you struggled with opening your packages to the extent that you have to actually buy a special knife that is designed to open packages, but it's packaged in a package that you can't open without having that, that, that tool, right? Um, so we, we really, uh, this is one issue where the, the naysayers and the alarmists are, are really quite right in the amount of, of garbage that we generate and what we deal with. Because, you know, just think about all the, the bottles of paint, which are not totally empty, you know, that get, get thrown out. I mean, it's, it's really a nightmare when you think of everything that uh, we do throw out. So really, not only do we have to emphasize recycling to reduce the chance that those chemicals are going to come back to haunt us, but we also have to try to just reduce the stuff that we buy, especially the, the you know, extensively packaged stuff. So once you throw out your garbage, you're ready to go to work or to school or whatever, and you have to fuel up your car. Well, that gasoline has been scientifically designed to have just the right blend of components. There are over 150 different compounds in gasoline. And this is not random. This is what refineries do. They take petroleum, they crack it, which means heating it so that most of the compounds in petroleum break down into smaller fragments. You separate those, through fractional distillation, and uh, you have heating oil, you have gasoline, you have airplane fuel, all of which comes from petroleum. Petroleum is perhaps the most important natural resource that we have. And of course, we have a love affair with it. But love, that love affair, like most love affairs, will end because the Earth is of a finite size. We eventually will run out of petroleum. So we will have to do something about replacing it with other sources of energy. There's a lot of talk these days, of course, using electric cars, which is good. Although it depends on where you happen to be living, because you have to consider where that electricity is coming from. Here in Quebec, we're pretty good because most of our electricity comes from, from hydropower, right? Which is a totally renewable resource. However, if you're living in, in Kansas, 
where they have to burn coal or petroleum in order to generate the electricity, the electric car doesn't make much sense. So it depends on, you know, everything has to be taken into account. You have to do a cradle to grave approach in order to figure out what is worthwhile doing and what is not worthwhile doing. But in the long run, in our quest for energy, the only possible solution is going to be nuclear energy. That's the only way that the, uh, the world will survive in, in the long run. Yes, we will develop better solar panels, we'll rely more on solar energy, we will rely more on tidal power, but none of that is going to be enough to replace petroleum and coal. So nuclear energy will have to play a role. And people, of course, are scared of nuclear energy because you conjure up images of, of uh, Fukushima and Three Mile Island and Chernobyl. But those accidents are very rare. And if you want to look historically and compare the number of lives that have been lost as a result of nuclear accident to the number of lives that have been lost to coal mining, there is no comparison. Thousands of times more people have died from coal mining than from nuclear accidents, but people are more scared of nuclear power. Anyway, if it's winter time, before you drive off, you may have to melt the snow or the ice. And of course, you're going to use another chemical here, sodium chloride, or sometimes calcium chloride, which is more effective, but it is more expensive. So there's a decision there to be made as well. And then you want to be able to see through your windshield and uh, you can't spray with water in the winter because it would instantly freeze. So we use methanol. Well, methanol is pretty toxic stuff. Right? So um, it has to be manufactured. And then what happens to that methanol that you spray on your windshield? Nothing really disappears, right? It just goes from one place to another. It goes into the air. We end up inhaling it. Not a great thing. So you're driving along, and we can point out some interesting chemical features there as well. For example, that statue basically is made of polyurethane, which is also interesting. But uh, take a look at some of the stuff that you see driving around, those green roofs. Well, you know that that's copper, but you also know that copper is not green. So what's happening here? It's happening. You have a chemical reaction. The copper reacts with acid rain. Acid rain means that the water, the rainwater, contains small amounts of sulfuric acid. Where does that come from? How do we get sulfuric acid in rainwater? You get that because sulfur trioxide, SO3, dissolves in water to give you sulfuric acid. Where does the sulfur trioxide come from? It comes from sulfur dioxide by reaction with oxygen of the air. Where does sulfur dioxide come from? It comes from burning sulfur, which is present in coal and it's present in petroleum. So it's a pollutant that in the air gets converted to sulfuric acid. We get rained upon with acid rain. And copper reacts with sulfuric acid, which is H2SO4, to form copper sulfate, which is green. There's another consequence 
of acid drain. If you look at this downtown building, notice the grime on one face of the building, but not elsewhere. Why? Because the ledge here and here prevents rainwater from dripping down over the surface. It's clean here because this building is made of marble, which is calcium carbonate. That reacts with acid rain. It gets dissolved away. So basically, acid rain is slowly dissolving away our buildings, which are made of limestone, calcium uh, carbonate. And as you're driving around, you may look at some construction sites. A lot of chemistry there. What is the yellow? That's styrofoam. That's the same stuff as you get in the food containers. Here, of course, it's acting as an insulating agent. You don't see it once the building is completed, but it makes a hell of a difference that you have it in there in terms of reducing your heating uh, costs. The coating on the windows, which is a special chemical coating, reflects light, which also reduces your uh, heating uh, costs. If you don't want to look up, you can look down, and there we have our water pipes, which these days are made of plastic, much easier to lay down, and you don't have the concern about lead, which was the material that was used to make the old-fashioned uh, pipes. You will also experience a lot of natural beauty as you're driving around, especially these days. Of course, we are seeing uh, all of the color changes. That's all kinds of interesting chemical reactions going on there. Believe it or not, those colors were always there. You didn't see them because they were hidden by chlorophyll, which is the green coloring of plants. However, as the weather gets colder, the trees no longer will photosynthesize. They don't need the chlorophyll. The chlorophyll breaks down and uh, all of a sudden, you can see all of those brilliant colors. All right, so now we've driven around, going to work. Uh, if many people, of course, work directly in the chemical industry, although you may not identify it as the, the chemical industry. For example, if you're working with dyes, of course, you're, that's a chemical industry. If you're uh, working with cosmetics, classic chemical industry. And even if you just work in an office, the photocopier that you use, the, the um, computer, of course, that, that you use, the paper that you write on, all of these are made by some interesting chemical processes. And then it's time for lunch. You got to make a decision. Are you going to go to McDonald's for a hamburger? Or are you going to go to Burger King or Harvey's, where they actually use a flame to make the burger, which then means that you have to be concerned about the benzopyrenes that are produced by that flame? Or are you going to have a pizza instead? In which case, you have to decide, is it going to be pepperoni or margarita? And if you don't want the pepperoni because it contains nitrites, uh, can you get around the nitrite problem by drinking some orange juice with it. All these decisions. Or of course you can make the right decision and go for a smoked beef sandwich, but then obviously 
you have to be concerned about the smoke that is infused into the meat and the tremendous amount of, of salt. And decision, decisions, is it worthwhile to buy organic or, or conventional? Uh, if it comes to drinking something, what is it going to be? Is it going to be a sugary soft drink? Is it going to be one that is artificial sweetened? Or are you going to just drink water? And if you drink water, what kind of water? Is it going to be Evian or Vital? Or can you get by just with tap water? These are all interesting chemical decisions. Then after lunch, you might want to go for a bit of shopping, invited into stores by neon lights, interesting chemistry there as well. And you know, you go into a store, purchase all kinds of things. You may want to try some paint. Uh, that's just a chemical concoction. Uh, if you are dropping off your clothing at the dry cleaners, well, they're going to use various chemicals to remove those stains. And you'll pick up some food, you go to the bakery. The trouble is that there's so many decisions to make here. What kind of bread are you gonna buy? Is it going to be whole grain or seven grain or poppy seed bread or, or flaxseed bread? All of these are different. Then you buy something to put on that bread, cheese. Are you going to worry about the mold on the cheese? Decide which one has more salt, which one has less salt. What about the wax coating? Is that, that an issue? And then after having bought all of these things, you're going to worry that you're going to be eating too much of it because indeed that is the major problem in North America today is the problem of overweight. So you bought all these things, you have to cook it. What are you going to have for supper? Is it going to be a steak or, or seafood or eggs? Or, no. These are all chemical difference, chemical decisions that you have to make. What about all the cholesterol content? Is that something that you have to uh, worry about? Is it worthwhile to replace your red meat with fish? Because the fish contains more omega-3 fats, which are supposed to be good for you. But if you don't like fish, can you get your omega-3 fat from eggs? No, not enough in there to make any difference. Then you decide what kind of vegetables are you going to eat. That's a pretty easy decision. The, the more you eat, the better, whatever vegetables. But are they organic or conventional? Are you going to worry about the pesticide residues that have been sprayed on there? Then you get home. So you have to start cooking. Are you going to do it in the microwave? Going to do it on the stove? What kind of pot are you going to use? Does it matter if you use Teflon or stainless steel or copper or aluminum? You heard about aluminum being linked to Alzheimer's disease. You heard of Teflon releasing uh, fluorinated compounds. Uh, but that is a much smaller concern than what you put into that pan, right? What are you going to put in? You go cook with butter, oil, if oil, what kind of oil? Decisions, decisions. After supper, you got to clean up. And you know that there are all kinds of chemicals that are used to clean up. You got to make decisions there too. Sometimes you make the wrong decision. Combine the wrong ones, combine in this, some sort of an acid with bleach, you generate chlorine gas, and uh, you're going to end up in the hospital. 
where you will also be treated with various kinds of medications. You know, some of them are synthetic drugs, others may be derived from plants such as echinacea. Uh, doctors use all kinds of, of chemicals, all the way from anesthetics to painkillers, etc. And if you are unfortunate enough to have to undergo surgery, an operating room could not operate without chemicals. All the way from the plastic tubing to the anesthetics to the very existence of the surgical supplies. But of course, luckily, most people are not sick most of the time. So you may want to relax after you've had your supper in your backyard swimming pool. And uh, that, of course, also has to be treated with chemicals to make sure that you don't get any, any uh, kind of wildlife growing in there. You don't get bacteria growing in there. And these days, the swimming pools usually have vinyl liners, which makes them much easier to clean. Once you climb out of your pool, you may want to take a little sunshine, and then you have to be concerned about what that is doing to your skin. But you can then put on some chemicals, we call them sunscreens, which will uh, protect you. But if you don't want to be out in the sunshine, you may want to be inside and relax and, and uh, watch some TV. And of course, the TV would not exist without the phosphorescent chemicals that are used to make this screen and everything else inside it. And you want a snack, of course, as you're watching TV, you may uh, decide that you're going to snack on a little bit of chocolate. And you maybe have heard that chocolate contains phenylethylamine, the chemical of love, which may put you in a mood for some other chemical activity. And uh, that can have some interesting products. So we've uh, gone through the day. It is time to for the sun to start to go down and you climb back in between your polyester sheets, turn off your nightlight, set your alarm clock, but don't use the kind that gives off light because we have learned that sleeping in a room with light is not very healthy. So we may go back to earlier days and use a good old fashioned alarm clock. And that's not going to shed light during the night that will interfere with your hormones. So we have had a long day that used a lot of chemicals and we have survived very well. So that's our story for today. And um, if you have any questions, we can certainly try to, to, uh, to answer them. But, I think you can see that we, we live in a very complicated world, right? Where there are a lot of decisions uh, to make. Uh, but to make most of these decisions, you do have to have some background. Otherwise, you know, all you can do is, is follow what someone else tells you, and you never know how reliable uh, they are. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, I think that there should be much more emphasis on, on the diet that should have. I, I think I, I wouldn't argue about giving vitamins to pregnant women. Uh, that 
they may be uh, need, need of that. But uh, I don't think children need to be given vitamins. It's, it's mostly for the mother's comfort. Mothers think that they're doing something really good for the children by giving them Flintstones. Not unless there's some issue. Uh, tap water, if you want to, to improve the quality of your tap water, you can do that very simply by using one of the, the commercially available filters like Brita or Zero Water. Uh, that will give you better tasting water. But uh, uh, there's no issue with tap water. It's perfectly good to drink. Uh, I do not like the whole bottled water industry for many different reasons. One is the, uh, the bottles themselves, which only less than a quarter of those get recycled. Most of them get thrown out. And uh, you know they're partly responsible for that giant so-called garbage patch that you hear about in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, there's a lot of energy that is used to, to making those uh, bottles. Uh, in, in many cases, uh, they are just taking regular groundwater and filtering it, and that's, that's all that you're getting. And in some cases, they have taken so much groundwater that the ground is actually collapsing. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not a fan of bottled water. Yeah. Probiotics. Probiotics, that's a real thing. Um, probiotics uh, are bacteria uh, that are beneficial in terms of, uh, of health. And um, if you can replenish the bacteria, especially after uh, using antibiotics, which will kill a lot of beneficial bacteria, probiotics are, are effective. So probiotics basically are, are, are bacteria like Lactobacillus bulgaricus, the one that you find in, in yogurt, um, which are in the category of so-called good bacteria. They're not disease-causing bacteria, they do good things in your gut. Uh, so probiotics are, you know, that's not one of these scams of which there are so many uh, out there. The only problem is knowing how much to take, you know. Uh, for example, many yogurts, of course, will advertise that their probiotic content, but they rarely have enough bacteria in there to make a difference. Uh, unless the bacteria are in the billions, you're not going to get any benefit. Though that, you know, you've got to look at numbers. I did something very interesting today. It's the right thing. I wanted to clean a silver chain. It's an old chain. Yeah. I think it turned dark. I don't want it shiny, but I want it clean. I had silver clean liquid. I did get it here. Too much. Then I figured out pour some water and put the silver in there. I did that and clean too much. And that's when I got the smart idea of putting the silver cleaner in the boiling water. And I got a terrible chemical reaction. Smoked all over the place, smelled all over the place, and the chain turned black. 
Yeah, you generated some hydrogen sulfide. I'm sure it smelled like rotten eggs. I mean, what does one do to that? Well, what, what, what happened there is that your, the tarnish on your silver, which is silver sulfide, okay, when you react it with the silver cleaner, especially under boiling conditions like that, uh -huh. it will generate hydrogen sulfide. And That's what you know. Because there wasn't much to be in the chain. It covered the chain, just above. So when I put the leftover silver cleaner in there, yeah. uh, the best way to, yeah. to clean your jewelry with the silver cleaner is put the silver cleaner on a cloth and then draw the jewelry through, the, through it. If you want another simple way to, uh, to clean silver objects, you wrap them in aluminum foil, put them in, a, uh, in, in boiling water in which you put a spoonful of baking soda, and you'll be amazed at how well it cleans. But I, I wouldn't do that with any expensive jewelry because if, um, if there's any uh, metal, some of the jewelry is not all silver. And some of that does not stand up well to that reaction. Yeah, well, without looking at it, I can't really <laughs> tell you. Stanley. I know you have a separate uh, lecture just on plastics because we overlooked that over here. I think it was a lack of time, but. It's a big thing today because the city of Montreal recently banned all plastic bags. And sometimes, and it's only the city of Montreal, actually, a lot of people don't know. Few coats and milk, it's not illegal, but some of the stores have just joined the bandwagon and are not even offering plastic bags. They want you to buy the, the reusable ones for $1.49 or $2.49 or whatever, whereas you have places, those reusable pharmacies, IJ offers paper bags. Yeah. And so I know it's it's a it's a hot topic because it, well we've done that we've done that topic not that long ago I think we did that three months ago four months ago the whole plastic issue they uh, I mean obviously it's a real issue there there is a lot of plastic garbage that is produced but out of that the plastic bags are a trivial amount this is not going to make any difference whatsoever it's uh, this is. Uh, way too much attention being paid to that. Plus, the paper bags are not environmentally friendly. If you ever see the way paper is made, you know, if you remember driving through Cornwall and smelling, uh, you know, this is not an environmentally friendly uh, uh, process. But uh, I mean, we, we really should be pushing for reusable, uh, you know, I mean, uh, anything that we can do to reduce what we throw away is is good but also you have to remember that you know those plastic bags could be reused i mean this is what we put garbage in right and so if you don't have those people are going to be buying plastic bags for the gar for the garbage yeah all right we'll see you next month okay.